From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Good afternoon and thanks so much for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Another busy show ahead, but we are starting talking about the City of Vancouver draft budget. The numbers are out. The proposal for the property tax increase sitting at 7.6%. Money from that proposed hike going to things such as city services, infrastructure renewal, police funding. So what does that actually look like if you're a homeowner or a business owner in the City of Vancouver? And what else is in the draft budget? Well, Vancouver City Councillor Pete Fry is joining us in studio today. Councillor, thank you so much for making it into the studio to talk more about this. Hi, Jill. Great to be here. Well, this is the draft budget. So coming up to a council meeting a couple weeks from now, 7.6%. How did staff come up with that number? Well, so staff have actually kind of uh, trimmed it down. I think if if you'll recall, we were projecting uh, in the nine to ten percent, and I think it was projected at nine point eight percent for this budget. So they've they've managed to trim it down using some efficiencies, some new revenue tools. Uh, we did have an auditor general report that suggested we were leaving money on the table on some of the, the permit and fees, and so there's been some recalibration, and I think that's seen a reduction to seven point six percent. Do you think that's a reasonable number? Uh, you know, a lot of the costs that we're dealing with, uh, you know, a big chunk of that are, are fixed costs with, with just inflationary pressure, pressures and, and uh, negotiated settlements, including and then a big chunk for the Vancouver Police Department to accommodate the extra policing hires. Um, infrastructure renewal, which we really can't get around. Increased utility fees from Metro Vancouver that we can't really get around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it really uh, only a small part of it is, is council-directed investments. When you talk about the the policing increase then, and people will remember that was a promise of the the current mayor, the 100 officers, is it that 100 officers or is that part of an increased police budget? Uh, It's the 100 officers. I think there's also, and again, we just got this last night, so I haven't really given it a third digestion, but it's, you know, some of the increased um, infrastructure costs for policing, including fleet renewal and that kind of thing. But it is, a big chunk of it is, is, negotiated wage increases and the new police hires. All right. Um, yeah, it is a 501-page document. Yeah. So <laughs> I understand if you've not gone through every line of, of the draft budget. Uh, well, it also includes parks parks and public open spaces. So is that separate from the park board? You know, it's interesting you should bring that up because we actually have an Auditor General report that's just been released that talks about park board revenue generation versus how they can spend the money uh, mm-hmm. because technically it's 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 – budget that's approved by the council. Right. And so where parks are bringing in new revenue sources, which is great because we've seen an increase in, in some of the fees and some of the sponsorship arrangements and that kind of thing, they're bringing in new revenue from parks. But at the end of the day, it still has to kind of go through council to get approved as a, as a budget allocation. Right. So the, the $36 million that's parks and public open space, because uh, the Auditor General was actually on the show and uh, talked about that kind of that disconnect between the park board knowing how much money it was getting, fees it was charging, and still having to get council's approval for this. And that uh, I think he even suggested that that relationship should be a bit more open, that uh, there should be more communication. Yeah, and I, I, I read some comments from Commissioner Bastivansky, uh, sort of echoing that and, and appreciating the sort of direction that, and I think that's always a, be, a best practice if we can have better lines of communication so that we 
can see where Park Board are trying to go with things and how we can work together. And going back as well, you mentioned infrastructure, uh, things like water, sewer, uh, solid waste, not the sexiest of topics, but certainly a big part of the budget. Is it dealing with with infrastructure uh, projects or issues that haven't been dealt with in the past or is this pretty well typical spending? Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the, the big pieces, too, is that we've got some housing targets from the provincial government. We've got big housing bills that are coming through the provincial government to see more transit-oriented uh, development and density. And, and, in, and in many cases, like Nanaimo Station is a great example, the infrastructure is not there to support transit-oriented development. The, the toilets won't flush because there's not enough sewer capacity. So we need to build more infrastructure. Uh, and a lot of our infrastructure, I mean, we're a, we're a 125-year-old city. A lot of the infrastructure is literally that old. So we have, you know, uh, and we probably haven't done a great job of renewing that infrastructure more proactively in in past administrations. And this goes back decades. And so we are left with an infrastructure deficit that it's only getting worse. And as we see climate change and increased stormwater runoff and and all those kind of impacts are really affecting our bottom line, not to mention things like the king tide that we're preparing for right now Mm -hmm. that, you know, causes damage on our on our seawall and the, the Kitsilano pool and those kind of things. When you talk about that then, um, also, so uh, the, the things like Nanaimo Station, the, the, the initiative or the, the uh, I suppose more than that, to the directive given from the, the provincial government when it comes to housing and making sure that these targets are met, is there an onus, do you think, then on the provincial government to be more of a financial partner in that they're telling you as a council, get this built, but if you don't have the infrastructure, how does that kind of work? Well, I mean, I need to be clear. This is this is a challenge for municipalities and local governments across British Columbia. It's not just Vancouver's problem. Right. All of local governments are struggling with how to to bake in that infrastructure with the limited tools we have at our at our uh, disposal, which is basically property taxes and fees. Now, traditionally, on big developments, we would collect additional fees from the developer. In many cases, we're we're waiving those to incentivize the development of, in particular, rental housing or below market rental housing. And, and so there is that kind of tension and that kind of challenge. And supply advocates would say, well, just raise taxes more. And that's obviously not necessarily a palatable solution for a lot of taxpayers. But uh, it is something that we have to sort of grapple with because it's certainly the kind of thing that I think elected politicians, again, across British Columbia, don't necessarily want to come hat in hand and say, yeah, we want to raise your taxes, vote for me. It's a, it's a challenging narrative to, to establish. But I think, you know, when we look at the, the general tax increases, we still get a lot of value for our tax dollars. And I would say uh, the, the the more compelling narrative is for renters in the city um, faced with the, the, the rent increase that is prescribed for 2024. They're going to be paying a lot more than our sort of tax increase. So it's an interesting perspective. Renters, you mean as far as their rents going up? Yeah. So, for instance, if uh, we've, you know, we've talked about in the, in the tax increase, then 800 a thousand dollar strata condo would see about a hundred dollar rent increase. So let's say that eight hundred thousand dollar strata condo is paying a mortgage of say three thousand dollars a month. If you were paying rent of three thousand dollars a month, which uh, is you know kind of a benchmark right now, mm-hmm. uh, you would uh, this year in twenty twenty four you would see a four hundred and fifty four hundred dollar rent increase potentially, right? And relative to the one hundred dollar uh, tax increase that that same person would have under an owner, so. Right. So, I, I mean, and that is a, a big increase when you're looking at a three thousand dollar for the kind of benchmark is already a huge amount for for talking about a one bedroom. Or, yeah, or even but that is the, that is the benchmark, mm-hmm. unfortunately, for rentals, and that's that is the com- compulsion for us to 
deal with supply and how do we deliver more housing and more affordable housing? And that's the big challenge. Thanks for being with us. Continuing now talking about the City of Vancouver's draft budget. My guest is Vancouver City Councillor Pete Fry. Also, we've opened up the phone lines. If you want to give us a call, star 9898 and 604-280-9898. Just before we go to the phones, Councillor Fry, we were talking about the fact, so the number now is 7.6%. That's the proposed property tax increase. Vancouver residents will know the last property tax increase was in the double digits, uh, just north of 10% as well. It is still a lot when you talk about year over year. I mean, people aren't getting that kind of raise at work for the most part. So I, I, I know what you're saying, too, that the renters are seeing these increases, but it, it is a, a lot of money for people when everything, as you know, is costing more. Oh, I know for sure. I mean, it, it, it's, I see it as well, right? And obviously the cost of groceries, the cost of gasoline, the cost of everything is going up. And so none of us are, are happy to bring a, a tax increase but I think that as as we can defend it, it is good value for what we're spending. I and mean, I think we deliver a lot of great services. And I, I, I should add, we were talking in the break, that the mayor does have his um, budget task force that was supposed to be reporting back in October. It's been punted. It'll be coming to us. I haven't seen it yet, but it should right. be coming to us next week with additional recommendations from the mayor's budget task force that uh, may have some ideas about how to, how to further save taxes. But again, I, I, looking at this budget, and again, just got it last night, and it's, you know, a cursory view, it's, it's, it's pretty lean as far as what, we, what we're stuck paying, right? How will that work then with that delay, the mayor's budget task force? So that was the task force going through that budget line by line. Would there be enough time then if the task force delivers that, that report next week? Does that give you and the other councillors enough time to look at that and maybe even adopt some of those if there are recommendations in that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the mayor's task force, so it's sort of with him and his party, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to ultimately probably make the decision around that. We do have the ability to uh, defer the budget approval as late as April, so there is that possibility if they've, if depending on what's in this report, if there's some kind of really earth-shattering revelation that needs a little bit more work and consideration, it could be punted into the new year. All right, and do, how likely is that, or has that... Well, we saw that last year, okay. so so it is likely, or it's possible. I, I can't say it's likely, but it's certainly possible. Uh, one of the the financial plan parts of this as well, under the long-term financial plan, it looks at the, the City of Vancouver outstanding external debt. And again, I know you haven't gone through the whole thing line by line, but the external get, debt goes up and continues to go up with interest rates going up and, and where they are now. Are you concerned about the amount of debt the city has? Yeah. And I mean, again, a lot of the capital kind of infrastructure spending that we have to do is 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 debt loaded and we you know we definitely want to move towards more of a pay as you go approach but that obviously means increasing taxes so it's that kind of balance and you know certainly we saw some really financial hardship over covid that everybody saw but the city of vancouver was definitely not immune to that and we saw with a downturn in tourism and and parking revenues and all those kind of things parking revenues actually account for a surprisingly big chunk of our budget so All right, let's go to the phone lines. James, uh, who's actually calling in from White Rock, has been waiting on the line. James, do you have a comment or a question? Yeah, Councillor Fry, I have a curiosity question. So I'm a contractor, okay? You you doubled my fee for a business license in Vancouver, and now I'm getting asked to come into Vancouver to build affordable housing. What are you going to do, or what is the city going to do to make it more attractive for me and every other trade that doesn't live in the core to come into Vancouver to build the housing that you need 
to make things more affordable for people because it sure isn't more affordable for me to come in here and do it for you. Yeah, it's a it, it's a great point. We have introduced a new commercial par- parking permit uh, scheme that will uh, also cost a little bit more, but will give you a lot more flexibility for parking your vehicle when you're coming in to do trades work in the city. And 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 part of the streamlining and increase the so the 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 business license fee that you're paying is now more in line with, as you know, uh, like Surrey and other municipalities. So it's actually been quite low relative to a lot of municipalities and metro, and it's it's really just sort of evening it out a little bit. I guess what, what my concern is, sir, is that living out in White Rock, I don't have to come into Vancouver. I'd be like, everybody else is facing the same problem that you are with affordable housing. And I can tell you right now, you don't have nearly remotely enough trades in the core to even facilitate a third or even a sixteenth of what you need for affordable housing. So you guys kind of need to woo us to come into Vancouver. So what are you going to do to help me tell my guys that, they're going to have to pay the rates they pay in 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 White Rock and in Langley and Surrey where they live for rent, and keep on paying that so that they can go into Vancouver and make affordable housing for the people in Vancouver. You, you see that? I the, totally. And, 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 and the irony is, of course, to is build housing. We need more affordable housing to so folks who work in our city can afford to live in our city, so that your guys can be living in Vancouver to build the affordable housing, but they need affordable housing to live in. So it's, it is a, a, a big challenge and we're certainly alive to it. And it's, there's not an easy solution. And we're, I, I know that we're, that's an active pursuit and we need to keep on top of building the below market and affordable housing if we want to stay ahead of this. All right, James, thanks. Thanks for that call. Councilor, you mentioned parking. Are there any uh, calls or, or is there an appetite, do you think, to revisit that idea of bringing in that citywide parking program? Maybe not the one that, so, that didn't get passed by the previous council, because I think a lot of people saw flaws in that plan. Are there plans, though, when you talk about it being such a big revenue generator to expand it? Uh, you know, it's 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 definitely a conversation. I think that will probably get revisited. Maybe not with this council, but I think it is inevitable, especially as we're moving away from parking minimums. As we know, the cost of putting in a parking stall in a new building and underground constructions everywhere anywhere from sixty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per single unit, and so we're talking about millions of dollars on an average build of apartment building. So, and developers are telling us that that a lot of folks don't want it, especially when we're talking about transit oriented development, which is close to sky trains or bus rapid whatever. People don't necessarily need the parking. Um, so as we're moving away from parking minimums, as we are looking at at really kind of recalibrating that, does it make sense to have uh, private parking on public streets for free? Probably not. And I think a lot of other cities, San Francisco, Toronto, all variously charge some kind of residential parking, parking permit. And um, that may be something worth exploring. Certainly there's a cost that goes with street infrastructure and it's a big chunk of our budget and maintaining streets and maintaining those public right-of-ways. So does it make sense to pay for the privilege of having private parking on public space? I think that's a conversation worth having. I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon though. All right. Uh, We've only got about uh, 30 seconds. What happens next then? So the mayor's task force on the budget, that report comes out next week. What happens next with the draft budget? Well, it comes to us uh, December 5th for debate and decision. That may be influenced by the mayor's budget task force that comes to us next week, and we'll see. But December 5th is kind of when the, the budget really lands on our on our council tables to debate and decide. All right. Councillor, thank you so much for coming in today. Hey, my pleasure.
It is Wednesday afternoon, and that means it is time to check in with Claire Newell. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jill. And you know what? I'm so excited to talk about this stuff today because right now we are in the middle of Black Friday travel deals that are like literally everywhere. And just before I came on, I actually took advantage of one myself. <laughs> so they are out there. They are really, really good this year. Um, both WestJet and Air Canada um, have sales on right now with some really, really good stuff. Like I saw one way to London with um, a stop in Calgary because they're WestJet flights and they were around $245 one way, Ooh. which is really good. Um, I saw some Air Canada uh, round trip Scottsdale that actually is what I booked for myself over a weekend to go see my mom and dad who snowboard down there. And it was like, under $300 return. Um, Maui is under $300 return with Air Canada. So the, the window would be that you travel between November 27th and with WestJet, it's June 20th. Air Canada, it's June 30th, um, which is really great, if, especially if you want to try and do Europe and get away before the kids um, get out of school or just as they get out of school. Um, and there's, there doesn't seem to be many blackout dates. You have to kind of be flexible. And I like the calendars that show you, you know, which days are better um, than others. But the, the critical date to remember is it has to be booked by November 26 for both of the airlines. Um, for those who want a gift idea and you have a traveler in your life, consider um, Priority Pass. Ooh. They are these um, annual passes that you can buy and you get access to hundreds of lounges. And right now they have a 30% savings on those. There's lots and lots out there. I love the company, Canadian company G Adventures, which does really cool vacations and they've got 30% off select tours. There's cruise lines are offering like all sorts of um, onboard credits and uh, kids sale free on some lines and, you know, 30, 40, 50% off on some. So there's some really good, uh, good deals to take advantage of if you can make a decision within these windows. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because it's not to, like buying a, a sweater or something, uh, an electronic that's on, on, yeah. uh, on marked down for Black Friday. It's a, a whole trip, but my, you just mentioned some of them and I was seeing some of the fares too. They are so low. Yeah, they're really, really low. Again, it's, you know, flexibility is your friend if you want to take advantage of the cheapy, cheapy, cheapies. And even when I mentioned to um, my husband, I had said I looked at both using points as well as using um, cash. And I did have to do cash for one of the tickets, but the points round trip to go to Scott to Arizona, which is where I'm, I'm going, was four and a half thousand points each way on the dates I wanted, which was 9,000 for a return ticket, which is so good. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, so really good deals out there. Um, one of the other things I just wanted to share that kind of just came down to me was that Canada Border Services Agency sent a, a reminder out just sharing tips that if people are planning to go away this weekend, just because it's Black Friday and U.S. Thanksgiving weekend, super busy time of, at the Canadian borders as well. And I mean, last year, CBSA facilitated 60 million travelers. I suspect that number will be higher this year, Jill, but 
just for a smoother trip. Make sure that you plan ahead and you can actually check the border wait times on their website. Just Google CBSA and, and the page will come up. Just know your exemption limits. So come prepared with your travel documents. Make sure they haven't expired. Have all your receipts readily available um, for goods that you may have purchased or received outside of Canada. Um, do the advanced declaration via the Arrive Can app. It just gives you access to those express lanes uh, at the airport, which are so nice. Remember, poultry items, they have to be like proper for human consumption labeled product of the USA if you're buying them there um, no homemade food with any, or leftovers with poultry like turkey you know even though you want that turkey sandwich don't bring it um, and just a reminder when you're traveling with kids make sure that if uh, they're accompanying an adult that they have a consent letter authorizing them to travel with the child if they have shared custody or they're not the parent or legal guardian and you can download one super easily at travel.gc.ca and you know me I'm going to remind everybody over um, the Christmas and New Year's breaks as well but just so that um, it helps with any delays you know it causes all sorts of confusion at the at the borders when you, when you don't come prepared so just a reminder and, and cannabis don't bring it just a reminder Right, well. right. And like you said, we, we see oftentimes very long lineups. So anything people can do to try and get through that border faster. Yeah, and that's that's really the key. And um, there's, you know, there's lots of demand right now for travel, especially over the holidays. Um, another thing that I wanted to quickly mention um, that I didn't send to you before, and I'm sorry, I'm, so much has just come down the um just since I, I sent some information to you, but India has begun processing e-visas once again for Canadians wanting to travel there. It is and has been a really popular destination, especially if people want to knock, knock off their bucket list India and seeing the Taj Mahal and all sorts of great things that they can see there. They stopped issuing them um, in September, but they are now issuing them again. Um, and their e-visas, which are a lot better than having to send your passports in. Yeah, I saw that. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that was a big update. And I know a lot of people were, were looking for that to see what was happening. So it looks like things are starting to move there. Yeah. The other thing I would just say to people is that if you're pl planning to travel, um, not just over this, you know, Black Friday and thanks U.S. Thanksgiving weekend and coming up over our holidays uh, over the winter months, just remember that it just seems like the Canadian Airlines, sadly, are just there. Well, I mean, the stat just came out that the Canadian airlines rank last for on-time arrivals in North America. <laughs> Not great news. The um, Sirium came out with this. They are an aviation data company and said that nearly 28% of um, Air Canada flights, in they arrived late in October. Um, WestJet, nearly 28% of arrivals touching down late. So they were ninth and 10th out of the top 10 North American airlines. Like, they're quite... Um, like their average is a lot lower than the average North American airline. So like companies like Delta, United, Alaska, American, were all kind of reaching 85% on time uh, arrivals. So I just, I caution people because you want to make sure you've got enough time uh, if you've got connections and things like that, knowing that the, this is an ongoing problem and it only gets worse over the holidays, Jill. It does indeed. So that is a good reminder and good uh, good advice for people as well. Also, when uh, people are traveling, I'm sure you hear about this all the time, and it's the cost of roaming your cellular data, making sure, or if you want your cell phone while you're traveling, it can be a bit of a, a jarring oh. bill when you get back. 
It can. And I mean, my carrier, I think it's around, depending on where I'm going, like 12 or $15 a day and only for up to 15 days, the first 15 days. But if you're, it adds up and it adds up really, really quickly. And I was quite pleased with what, um, a new package that just came out. I'm hoping that Freedom Mobile will not be the only company that does this, but they're offering this new package that comes fully loaded with 60 um, gigabytes of international mobile data. And it's an introductory price of 65 flat per month after this digital discount. So if you're traveling, it might be worth taking a look at if you're not on a plan and you want, and you are a traveler, but I am crossing my finger that fingers that other carriers will do this because both my husband and I do travel a lot. And whenever you go outside of Canada for even a second, like just down for my Trader Joe's and Target runs down to, to Washington state, I get dinged with the daily rate. And so it's, it's expensive and kind of something we watch quite closely. So that's great for those who know it. I think the program's called Rome Like Home, um, but it's only with uh, freedom at the moment. All right. And like you said, we'll see if maybe other carriers follow suit in that. Uh, Lynx Air is launching some more flights if people are interested in that uh, airline. Yeah, actually, the, just this uh, past Monday on November the 20th, Lynx launched their first international flight out of YVR, and it's going to Orlando. It's part of their whole plan going to the U.S., so um, now Lynx will s- service Orlando from not just Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary, but also Vancouver by December um, to Orlando or Florida alone, they'll be flying nearly 10,000 seats. So a big move into the U.S., um, and I think that there'll be more destinations that are offered out of Vancouver by links to the hotspots. But at the moment, um, just just a few on the agenda. And I mentioned this, I promoted this earlier today because I thought this was really interesting as well. And both Air Canada uh, boosting capacity to the uh, Asia Pacific region and Japan has become, I know it's always pretty high up on the list, but a lot of people wanting to go to Japan. Oh my goodness, so many people, especially with what's going on in certain parts of the world that are just kind of deemed unsafe at the moment that were on people's bucket list. So Japan, um, for sure, has just kind of come to the forefront. They actually won the top destination worldwide in the Condé Nast Traveler 2023 Reader's Choice Award. They got an overall rating of 93, uh, almost 93. It's actually 92.43%, which was ahead of kind of the the golden front runners for years and years, Italy, Greece, and Ireland. I mean, otherwise in the top 10, it's really dominated by European destinations. So it was interesting to see this. No surprise to an organization like Air Canada, because um, they see that there's money to be made there. They're going to be starting to operate seasonal Osaka flights earlier. They're going to be using larger aircraft to go to Narita, Tokyo, um, airport and the whole initiative to Asia Pacific is actually increasing and it's going to start mid-December and go right through until the end of next summer. They'll be offering um, uh, 57 flights a week between Canada and Asia and up to 64 next summer per week, which is a lot. Um, they're going to, in, including double daily flights to Hong Kong, they're going to use larger aircraft to go to Shanghai during holiday time. So that'll be December, as well as Lunar New Year travel periods. And then the capacity in general, like I mentioned with some of the um, the, the flights, they're increasing to Japan by 96% this winter compared to last year. 
Hmm, yeah, such such an increase. All right, there are so many things to talk about, but I want to make sure we get the deals as well. In addition to those Black Friday deals, uh, you have some other other destinations as well. And you know what? They're all Black Friday deals, and they've changed since I sent them to you because <laughs> things are moving so, so fast. Um, I'm going to start with a hotspot. They seem to be the most popular at the moment. So the cheapest at the moment, Veradero, Cuba, in January, between the 4th and 30th, Aaron, seven nights in a beachfront, all-inclusive resort, $645. The taxes of $480. That has a book-by date of November 30th. I love this one. It just came out. It's a 10-night best-of-Greece cruise, February 2nd or 23rd. 10-night cruise in a balcony cabin with a $300 US dollar onboard credit for $899. The taxes of 236. Um, I, I should say, when I originally looked at this, it was 839. It's now 899. It's because it's selling so quickly. <laughs> that one has to be booked by December the 1st. Another hot spot that's been really popular is Los Cabos, Mexico. Pretty last minute on this though, December the 10th or 11th. Air and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort, 739. The taxes of 620. I mean, there's so many. I, I also love this deal. It's a 10-night Hawaii cruise and state. So it's leaving on April the 26th. It's airfare to Honolulu. Then you spend two nights hotel in uh, Oahu. And then you get on board an eight-night cruise. It goes th- around the Hawaiian Islands and then across the Pacific. And you walk off the ship in Vancouver. Mm. That one is 1089 The taxes of 631 that has a book buy of November 30th. But honestly, there are just so many deals. Um, they're on the website. They all have different book buy deadlines, like summer November 26th, 27th, um, 30th, some December 1st, some December 5th. Um, but there's there they'll be kind of coming out today, uh, even more tomorrow. So kind of have to keep checking back. All right. Well, we can definitely, definitely do that. Claire, thank you so much. And we will check out those deals and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Jill. You uh, likely remember hearing about this story. Uh, my next guest spoke earlier on Mornings with Simi on this radio station as well to Global News talking about cancer treatment, some much needed cancer treatment and her struggle to get care here in BC and decided instead, luckily was able to make that decision, decided, decided instead to go to the United States to get to chemotherapy. Now, earlier this this month, back on November 6th. This was a story that was found by Catherine Urquhart at Global News. Catherine did check in and got a comment from the health minister, from Adrian Dix. Again, he said he couldn't talk about the specifics of this particular case, but he did say this to Catherine. The healthcare system doesn't always get it right, and that's why uh, we have this set up, and people can as well raise these issues as has been done in this case publicly. And joining me to talk more about this and an open letter that she has now written to the health minister is Kristen Logan, a cancer patient. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How are you feeling? How are you doing now? I appreciate that question. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm stable. I'm still in treatment, of course. I'm about to have my third chemo treatment next week. And then I'm looking at finally getting my surgery Uh, in uh, mid-December, just in time for the holidays. Um, But I'm doing fairly stable, uh, better than I was, you know, two months ago when I made the decision to come down here. 
And can you remind us again, maybe uh, for people that didn't hear you on on Simi's show or, or aren't familiar with this story, can you can you give us a bit of a recap on what happened? Sure. Um, well, I started experiencing symptoms back in March, and you know, kind of these are uh, this is a very aggressive form of cancer that I have. It's an ovarian cancer, um, and it's it's stage four. I started having symptoms back in March. And, you know, kind of went through this process of trying to get those symptoms figured out and diagnosed and went through misdiagnoses and waiting for diagnostics. And, um, and it was finally September 1st, I woke up with this pain in my side and it wouldn't go away. I went to the ER the next morning and uh, they found that I had fluid in my lungs. Um, and then they found that they, I also had fluid in my abdomen. And that's when they started to say that this looked like a metastasized cancer. Um, and so it took me a few more weeks to get diagnosed. And by that point, you know, I was being told that um, the surgery for this cancer was going to be a three to four month wait. I had already heard enough stories from people about, you know, it taking forever to get to see an oncologist in BC. Um, so after waiting about, you know, a week and a half from that diagnosis on September 18th, uh, I made the decision to come to the United States Luckily, I am a dual citizen, uh, U.S. and Canada, and so I had uh, found out that I was able to qualify for veterans benefits because I'm also a Air Force veteran here in the States. Um, so I made the decision to come down here, and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> Do you think you would be with us today if you had not made that decision? I, I do not. I do not think so. Um, I was in pretty bad shape. By the time I did come down here, I had to be wheelchaired onto the ferry, had to be wheelchaired off the ferry. You know, I really couldn't walk much without uh, losing my breath. Um, in fact, I was in the hospital the day after I got down here to the U.S. because I couldn't breathe. Um, and it, uh, it, it, was, it took a while to get to, to speak to an oncologist in Canada, um, and then they ended up losing my referral. Was that I didn't find that out until November 2nd. And surely, had I waited for that, I definitely would not be here. And that was my next question, in that in what happened to you, was it the delays in the system, and that is just the state of the system in BC right now, or was there something else that went wrong? And, and your answer there, when the, your referral was lost, so it sounds like in addition to that wait, the three- to four-month wait for surgery, that there was also a pretty big mistake made. Yes, exactly. And I, and I look at that mistake and I say, and I understand, you know, mistakes can happen. Um, and I, I think as I said to, to Simi, I look at it like this, you know, when you have uh, pilots that are, you know, having to fly 20 hours a day and you start having plane crashes, you don't blame the pilots per se as the only source of the problem. You know, that to me goes to show that there's other problems going on in the system and, and those are borne out by other statistics as well. Um, so I think the lost referral was, uh, it was obviously a problem, and it, and it would have killed me had I been waiting for it. Um, but it, certainly, it's it's a symptom of a greater problem. And when you hear the health minister say that the system is not perfect, that yes, there mistakes are made, that there are avenues for patients to voice their concerns. I know you've now written an open letter about this. Mm -hmm. What went through your mind when you heard the health minister say that? I couldn't believe how just it, it sounded to me just completely careless um, and it lacked any kind of accountability. It didn't say to me like, you know, yes, we know there's problems and we're working on them. It was just kind of like, yeah, stuff happens. You can complain about it. 
You know, and when you, when you hear a response like that from the person in charge of it all, it really makes you wonder what the point of doing formal complaints even is. If that's what the leadership at the top is like, what's the rest of the system like in response to situations like this? Uh, and your story, uh, unfortunately, is not uh, it's not a one off. And I think uh, I'm curious what you've heard from other people and this open letter that you have written to the health minister uh, in September mm-hmm. when I was traveling. I learned about uh, a friend of a good friend of mine who went back to South Africa for breast cancer treatment mm-hmm. because she didn't get it was the, because of the delays here. What kinds of stories what what have you been hearing from other people since you went public and started talking about? this? I've heard a number of stories, and it's interesting that you mentioned South Africa, because when we were in the ER that day, September 2nd, and hearing from the doctor that it very well may be cancer, the doctor actually told us that he recommended, if we have the ability to leave the country, to not wait and go do that. And he actually had a friend that had gone to South Africa for cancer treatment. You know, and we we kind of look back on that moment and say, okay, we wish we would have listened right then and there because, you know, then I I had some more delays. Um, But it just started there. Um, I had another woman who I've become friends with who had a cancer diagnosis, and she was told by BC Cancer that she had two months to live and her tumors were inoperable and they weren't going to do anything for her, but they recommended she also get a colonoscopy uh, which was kind of weird. She ended up paying for herself and her husband or her partner at the time to fly to Baltimore. She got surgery in Baltimore. She got treatment in Baltimore. She stayed there, you know, had uh, the most state-of-the-art treatment that she could get and excellent care there. Um, and now she's struggling with BC Health trying to get them to reimburse her for that. Uh, BC Health said they needed a referral from BC Cancer and BC Cancer has refused to provide it saying that it wasn't medically necessary for her to do that. Hmm. Um, so this is just the tip of the iceberg. I, you know, my heart goes out to people who are, they don't have the option that I had. They don't have the means to pay for it themselves like my friend did. And instead they're relying on this system and they're scared because they are hearing these stories too. And, and again, I, I look to the kind of response we get that says, you know, well, you can always complain about it. That doesn't help people. That doesn't fix the problem. What, what do you say to these people who are scared and terrified and know very well they may not make it while they're on these waiting lists and they're getting runarounds from oncologists, you know, saying, well, you don't really need to be seen or another friend who was told that they were going to monitor her cancer after discovering that she had adrenal cancer. And in the process of that, it metastasized to her lungs. And then she had to wait an additional seven weeks after discovering that to begin treatment. You know, she's a mother. She's the same age as I am. I'm 43. She's also a mother of an 18-year-old. You know, so how are... It's, it's, it's astonishing how many stories are flooding in. I, I would sit here and tell you, I could talk to you all day and tell you stories. Well, I, um, but it's just, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's shocking. I, I wish we had all day. Uh, Kristen, we only have about a minute left. But, but what's <laughs> next for you then as far as uh, your treatment? And, and then because I know even though, like you said, luckily you had the means and you were able to do that. But that still clearly is taking a financial and a physical toll on you. Huge. I'm, I'm lucky in that I'm, I'm here. You know, I have uh, a family in the United States and I'm able to stay with my parents. But in the last two months, I've seen my husband and my daughter for a total of four days, maybe not even a full four days. Um, and that is very difficult. It's 
huge financial strain on my family as, you know, my parents are retired and they're trying to, you know, help me not have to worry about anything. My husband is a personal trainer in Campbell River, and he is trying to hold the fort down um, at a time when, you know, our mortgage has shot up because we have a variable rate and inflation is through the roof. You know, he's just trying to keep it all together up there um, on his own as the sole income earner. And uh, emotionally, it's really hard to go through all this without my husband and my daughter with me. Um, and, you know, without my community who has been amazingly supportive, uh, but, you know, just kind of down here isolated and uh, physically it's difficult. Emotionally, it's difficult. Um, and I wonder, it just, I'm just trying to focus on getting better and healing. Um, there's a part of me that really just gets lit on fire by being told, you know, oh, well, you can always complain and, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and I think as Canadians, we need to demand better. Um, but I also know I need to focus on my own healing too. All right. Well, Kristen, you have a lot of people now that are all uh, in your corner and hoping for the very best for you and also so appreciative that you have written this letter and that you continue uh, to be very vocal about this. Uh, I so appreciate you coming on the show and uh, I hope to talk to you again very soon. Jill, thanks for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure and I, I appreciate everybody's support. All right, Kristen Logan, thank you again so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.